0: Welcome to Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Thank you for joining us as we listen to another message from Pastor Daniel Shirley. We're talking about being restored, and I want to start off with a a title text here. In Isaiah chapter 61, this is in verse number 1. It says, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And I, I apologize, I don't have it on you version today, but you can follow along on your phone or um, by just going to Isaiah 61, verse 1, your tablet, your uh, paper Bible, your uh, scroll, your whatever you brought in today uh, for the Scripture. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because He has anointed me. Now, that anoint, that word anointed, that's like a real churchy word that we say sometimes The word anointed, it just means you have been empowered or you have been given the permission or the authority to do this. So it says, you have anointed, the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those that are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to console those who mourn in Zion. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And that he will be glorified. Verse 4 it says. And that they shall rebuild the old ruins. And they will raise up former desolations. And they will repair the waste cities. The desolations of many generations. In the New Testament in, in Luke we see Jesus and he stood up. I should have brought something else to do this. We're good. There's one over there. In the New Testament, we see Jesus, and he stands up, and he's standing in the temple in his hometown, and he stands, and he reads from this text in Isaiah chapter 61, and when he finishes it, he closes the book, and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. Today, this scripture, today you are seeing the, fulfill, the fulfillment of what I just read, that the Spirit of God is upon me because He has appointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. God sent me, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, to do these things. Well, they didn't like it very much. Because they were like, man, this guy right here, I remember him when he was running around and he was just knee high to a grasshopper, right? You ever heard that? I don't know. Is that how you say it? I'm not really old enough to use that phrase, I don't think. But thank you. I heard people say that. I heard this. I saw this guy running around. Yeah, I saw Jesus. He was running around. No, this is blasphemous right here. He's calling himself God. So they took him out. They tried to throw him off a cliff. Welcome home, right? Try to throw this guy off a cliff. Well, it wasn't Jesus' time to, <clears throat> to die, excuse me. So he just passed right through him. But he said, the Spirit of God is upon me. Today this is fulfilled in your midst. Today is the day that the favor of God begins to be ushered in on you. Today's the day for your restoration. Today is the day for your restoration. In verse 4 here. Of Isaiah 61, we see he says, You will rebuild the old ruins, you will raise up former desolations, and you will repair the waste cities. Those three things right there the ruins, the desolations, and the waste cities I think you can relate to what those things mean. The ruins, what he's talking about here, (coughs) excuse me, I'm sorry. When he's talking about ruins, he says, the things that have decayed. Do you have anything that has decayed in your life? Anything that has decayed over time? What about your passion? Have you seen your passion decay? Have you seen your vision decay? What about your relationships sometimes? Have you seen your relationships decay I think we can relate to that, and if we can't, at this moment we can look back and we can say, oh yeah, there's this instance, or there's that instance, where things have decayed. they just begun to break down. He said, you will rebuild the decaying, the areas that have decayed, the ruins, to bring you back to this place of your cathedral. He says that he will raise up the former Desolations, that word desolation. It means things that have wasted. Things that have wasted. Do you ever feel like when you look back at life, man, I had this opportunity and I wasted it? Can you relate? I have this opportunity and I wasted it. How many times do we beat ourselves up over those things that we wasted? Do you look back and you live in that moment that if you would have made a different decision that you wouldn't have, you would have wasted that opportunity? I think many of us do. We look back and we say, man, it, it, my, my life is a struggle now, but if only I wouldn't have wasted that moment. If only I wouldn't have wasted that opportunity that was given to me. He said that you will raise back up those things that you wasted. Amen? Praise God. Praise God for His grace. And then He says that you will repair the waste cities that means the things that the heat has come and dried and cracked when something lays outside for a long time or like two days in the New Mexico summer right when something lays outside it begins to decay it begins to crack it begins to to uh, become ruined because it stays out in the sun this summer I had my debit card I had just got it, a brand new debit card, and I hadn't even activated it yet. Hadn't put it in my wallet, and when I I got it out of the mail, I just pitched it in the seat of my car. It melted in the seat of my car, like liquid. I picked it up, and it was like flopping around. I put it in front of my air conditioner and tried to do it straight. You can't even read the numbers on it anymore. I still have it. It does work, but like the numbers are just flat, It's absolutely ridiculous, but I thought, I'm going to break it or lose it in like two months, so I'll just wait and get a new one, but the heat, it dries things, it cracks things. Do you have areas in your life that the heat from life has come and just burnt in, and they become dried and cracked and broken, and you think you'll never get them back? Well, today's the day. For your restoration. Today's the day to rebuild that cathedral. Today's the day. So we're gonna start out talking about your promised land journey. Your promised land journey. We see in the old testament a type of the church in the children of Israel. And you guys have have heard about Moses and the Red Sea and Let My People Go and Charlton Heston and and doing the thing, or the prince of Egypt, or whatever, right? I mean, it, you, you see it all around, and, and, and we're reminded of some of these things. Well, this story is a, a picture that God has painted for us of our redemption, or what has happened to us spiritually in Christ. And so, I'm going to draw this parallel today between the the children of Israel and the church and God's people today, or you in your individual life, and me in my individual life. So you good? You ready to go on a journey? Here we go. Only a couple people were, but that's okay. I'm going to take all of you, and uh, we can all go together. But it's okay to talk back to me. Um, Just don't throw things, because that's a little embarrassing sometimes. But your promised land journey. Your journey... To get Christ, your journey to remember what that fire was, that that journey that started out where you were in captivity and then Christ set you free and then you had a little wilderness experience. And so we started out and it was quite a work to get us because I don't know about you, but I was kind of messed up. Now, I know that you, you were probably like a perfect angel without Christ and that Christ just enhanced you, but I know the person next to you was not, right? So, the w- truth is we're all messed up, right? We're all a little messed up. We're all a little broken. If we could tell the stories in here, I don't think we'd want to. We'd be embarrassed. We'd laugh a lot, Right? And I, I, honestly, I don't think we would be too surprised. I honestly don't. I don't think, uh, sometimes you think that you've hidden those things away so well, I honestly don't think that we would be too surprised. Because we know you. I mean, we know at least what you're capable of doing. So, We've got ten plagues, Moses comes up, the people of God are in captivity. What's interesting is they were all living well because of Joseph, because of a man named Joseph. They were all living well because Joseph had the relationship with Pharaoh, the king, and Joseph was hooked up with him. And any time that anybody gave them problems, it was like, oh no, he's one of Joseph's. And they were like, back off of him because he's one of Joseph's. Well, Joseph had passed away and he had gone on and there was a new king that came up and it said that new king didn't know Joseph. And he was like, I hear about this Joseph guy all the time. Well, forget this Joseph guy. These people, they've been skating by because of this Joseph dude. I'm going to make them build bricks for me. Go out and do my work. All you're doing is freeloading in my land anyway so they go out and they begin to do work and then he, he, he beats them and, and ridicules them and, and, and makes them work and makes them build, build bricks without straw and, and they're, they're slaves to him well then Moses comes along and he goes to Pharaoh and there's a lot of the story that I skipped but he goes up and he says Pharaoh let my people go and, and, and Pharaoh's like why who are you and he said, I come on the authority of my God. Let my people go. Pharaoh's like, uh, how about no? And so we see this story of ten plagues, and we're not going to go into the plagues today. But we see this story, and you can read them in the first part of Exodus. But they go in, and these plagues come against the people of Egypt and come against Pharaoh and his household, all the way, ten of them. Livestock died, and they had had frogs everywhere, and they had gnats everywhere, and, and we ended up coming to a head whenever the firstborn of the house of Pharaoh and all the houses of Egypt died when the angel of death passed over because they weren't washed in the blood. And Pharaoh says, all right, get out of here. I don't want any any more of this. I don't want any of the rest of these things going on. You've already taken enough from me. I want you and your people out of here now. And Moses is like, that's all we were asking all along, bro. Let's get out of here. And so the people get up and they go. Well, they run into the Red Sea. They run into the Red Sea. Now, this is a big deal. Because they had no way. They couldn't just jump in a little kayak and just paddle across the sea like nothing. It was a big obstacle. And in fact, we see in Exodus chapter 14, they get so upset with Moses. Remember, Moses is the one that goes and negotiates this whole freedom, this whole exodus. That's where we get the name, exodus. Moses is the one. He's the leader. Well, they go up to Moses and they're like, oh, Moses. Why don't you bring us out here to die? Oh, we just come up to the Red Sea so we can die. Did they not have any graves in Egypt? We'd have been better off dying there. Now we're going to die here. It's just I die there, I die here. What's the difference? We've got the Red Sea. Then the armies of Pharaoh are like, man, I should have no, never let those people go. I think what happened is he was making them build the bricks or make the bricks And they were like, "Ah, I don't really like this. Let's go get the the Israelites back. And so the armies of Pharaoh are coming up, and they've got the Red Sea, the, the army behind them and the Red Sea in front of them. And then Moses steps up, and God tells him to extend his hands over the sea, and he does. And when he does, the sea parts, and it's dry land, and God's people cross the Red Sea on dry land. Cross the Red Sea on dry land. Can you believe that? We've got this big body of water. It's like the Pecos, only like times, I don't know, 100. And they crossed on dry land. They were free. It was their freedom. When we accepted Christ, we passed over and we crossed the Red Sea, and now we're free. And now we're free. We said, Jesus, come into my life, and now we're free. See, it's a journey. This is their first major victory. And they were on fire. The Red Sea, when I looked up the the meaning or the significance of the Red Sea, because I believe that more than just geographically, that there's something that God wanted to teach us and to show us through the Red Sea. Yeah, it was the one that was there. Why is it called the Red Sea? The Red Sea, it means sea of reeds. Sea of reeds. In the Hebrew language, it was a sea full of obstacles to entangle you. A sea full of obstacles to entangle you. Lots of seaweed, lots of reeds in there. You tried to cross it, you were going to get tangled up in there to where you couldn't move. I picture it where you get tangled up and you fall over and you drown in the Red Sea. The Red Sea took another one, right? Obstacles to entangle you. A lot of times we try to cross our own Red Sea because we feel like there's no other way. And finally we just run in and we just try to cross, the, we've got an army behind us, so we either die with the army. Or give the Red Sea a shot. So we go in and we get all tangled up. What's your first major victory? God took the Red Sea and he parted it and you walked across on dry land. Now I don't know because I wasn't there, but I can imagine that as they walked through the Red Sea, they also didn't have to deal with the reeds and the seaweed. Because it says they walked across on dry ground, on clear ground. They walked across a sea that they could not pass, and they were made free. And when they were made free, the Bible says that they came and they sang songs unto the Lord. They sang a song. It started off, and it's really long, but it started off, it said, I will sing unto the Lord, for He has triumphed. Gloriously, because the horse and its rider have been thrown into the sea. God, you made me free, and they had a great time worshiping and praising God for what He had done for them because that was their first major victory. Remember when you crossed over from death into life, when you said, Jesus, come into my life and transform me, and you realized that you didn't have to be broken anymore. You realized that you didn't have to be beaten anymore, but you had an answer, and that was in Christ. Man, you were pumped up. You were excited. You wanted to tell everybody about it because Jesus had come in, and he transformed you just like that. You crossed over, and you weren't entangled anymore Well, that lasted for like two days for the children of Israel. And they were wandering and they didn't have any water and they were thirsty. Well, when they were thirsty, they took a drink and it was bitter. It was at a place called, I was going to be more smooth than that. It was at a place called Marah. And I don't know if that's how you say it, but you don't know any different either, so we're going to call it Marah. All right? he was at a place, they were at a place called Marah. The very name Marah means bitter. This was a place of bitter. How many of us, and I don't want you to raise your hand, and I don't want you to look at your neighbor or hit him or anything like that, but how many of us, we deal with bitterness? You deal with bitterness in your life? You deal with bitterness over things that have happened? Things that were done to you. You deal with those things that they continually come up. Your first key to your restoration is dealing with your bitterness. Because we came through the reeds in a miracle. And we were all tangled up. But we came through in the greatest miracle of passing from death to life. Christ made us free. But then we realize that we still got some bitterness in our life. That's okay. It's okay, we just got to get rid of it. We just got to get rid of it. Jesus talked about bitterness in Luke chapter 17. Jesus is dealing with bitterness. And when he's dealing with bitterness here in Luke 16 or 17, he talks about unforgiveness, and he said, unforgiveness is a root, and it's like bitterness. He said, if you had faith, the size of a grain of mustard then you could say to this sycamine tree to be removed and cast into the sea well I don't know what a sycamine tree is because I don't have one of those growing in my yard somebody says what kind of tree is that I'm like it's a big one I don't know it's got leaves I know a pecan tree because it's got pecans on it all the others are a leaf tree because it's got leaves I don't know I know a pine tree, because you have Christmas out of those. I don't know anything about trees. Nothing. It's an aspen tree because of the way it is. There's a YouTube video that these fools show me that says that you don't want to watch it. It dumbs you down a little bit. Every time, if one of these guys tell you to watch a YouTube video, just know that you're about to get dumber. (laughs) All right? So... So I did some research on a sycamine tree. This was several years ago. Talking about a sycamine tree, a sycamine, one of the the characteristics of a sycamine tree is it had very, very deep roots. Unforgiveness, bitterness in your life have very, very deep roots. It's not easy to just pull it up. It's like you're unearthing ancient treasure when you pull this sycamine tree up because the roots are very, very deep. Number two, sycamine wood was used to make caskets. It was associated with death, a sycamine tree. Number three, the fruit from a sycamine tree was very bitter. Very, very bitter. In fact, history tells us that... The lowest class of people would eat the fruit of the sycamine tree because it's all they could afford. It was the cheapest fruit because it was bitter and disgusting. And number four, the sycamine tree was pollinated by wasps. So not only did the sycamine tree present a nuisance, but the sycamine tree fed a nuisance wasps that would just swarm around Jesus likened that to unforgiveness he said unforgiveness and bitterness in your life it's like a sycamine tree because it's wood is associated with death unforgiveness, bitterness will lead to death in areas of your life it'll lead to death in your relationships it'll lead to death on your job It'll lead to death in your emotions. If you allow bitterness to take root in your life, and it's very deep roots, and it'll be a nuisance in everything that you do. But here's what Jesus said. He said, if you had faith, the grain of a mustard, very, very tiny faith, very, very tiny, and so sometimes we look at these things and you think, man, I just can't get over it. I just can't forgive them. I just, you don't know what they did to me. Jesus said, man, the smallest amount of faith, you can take care of that. So get it done and get it out because what, what is it doing? It's decaying your cathedral. It's decaying your cathedral. The heat from it is drying out and cracking what I have made in your life. you're wasting opportunities because of the bitterness in your life. So you've got to get rid of that bitterness. So what Jesus said to do to it is He said you take the grain of mustard besides faith and you speak to that bitterness and you pull that mine tree up roots and all and you throw it into the sea. You take that, you pick it up you pull all the roots out and everything and you just throw it right into the sea and you can do that because you have this much faith you can do it so let's go back to Moses children of Israel I will sing unto the Lord because he has triumphed over my enemies praise God why you have me drink this trash why did you make me come out here so I could drink trash that sounds a lot like us right praise God he's so good I hate my life. Right? Five minutes apart on your Facebook post. Right? God is so good. I can't imagine a life better than Him. Can you believe how she looked at me? I hate this. I tell you what, she better not see me in the store because she'll have another thing coming. And did you see her? She looked fat the other night, too. Did you see that? Why are we like that? So Moses, they go to Marah, which means bitter. They drink. It's, it, the water's bitter. They go to Moses, complaining and griping about it. Very interesting. Here's what Moses did. This is what God instructed him to do. He took a tree, and he threw it in the water. And it made it sweet. What did Jesus say to do? Bitterness, take the tree up by the roots, cast it into the sea. Isn't that what Moses did? He took the tree, he threw it into the sea, and the waters became sweet. Talk about a victory. You will never experience your restoration as long as you keep drinking bitter water. You'll never experience restoration as long as you continue to drink bitter water. It's time to get past the bitterness in our life. How do I do that? Speak to it. Do not allow bitterness to control you and take root of you and hold you. Don't let let it happen. Don't let it happen. I challenge you as bitterness towards a situation begins to take hold of you, I want you to think about what God has done. I want you to think about the, the fact that He brought you across the Red Sea. He brought you through the reeds that were trying to entangle you. I want you to think about how much He has done in your life and what He has brought you through and what He has brought you from and say, no, that is not going to be me. I'm not going to be a bitter person, but I'm going to love unconditionally like Christ has loved me. And then we can say, God, show me how to love. Because sometimes we don't know, right? How do I love that person? They're so ugly. How do I love that person? Sometimes that's just a moment of honesty for us, right? Sometimes it's like, ah, every time I just see them and they get under my skin. Sometimes I just think about this situation and I get mad, right? Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. I've been there, guys. I've been there. Don't bring it up. Don't talk about it. Because I'm just going to be mad and I don't want to be mad what about god begin to deal with that in your heart and you begin to have a new perspective you begin to grow so as the children of israel moved on what time we got as the children of israel begin to move on then they come to a place where they need sustenance and they need food and so god begins to send to send manna from heaven now manna it wasn't the greatest thing in the world but it was food it was food the people of Israel they didn't like it too much but God was sustaining them now remember their objective was to get to the promised land and so yes God was sustaining them with the manna But the manna was not the promised land for them. But they weren't dying. God was providing for them, God was sustaining them. I believe that there's a difference. We're going to get into it a little bit next week. But I believe there's a difference between where you're at sometimes and God sustaining you and then God's best for you. Sometimes we're sustained. The prophet Jeremiah said it like this, it's because of God's mercy that I'm not consumed. He was having a hard time when he said that. He was ready to just throw in the towel. And if we read it there in the book of Lamentations, we see that Jeremiah was saying, man, my strength and my hope have perished from the Lord. Forget it. I'm done. I'm out. I have no hope now. And then he starts talking to himself and he's like, man, it was God's mercy that I wasn't consumed. See, he realized that even though things looked bad, he was still getting manna. But he wasn't in God's best place. I mean, would we rather have ramen or a filet? I'd rather have a filet, but I'll eat ramen. Right? I mean, it got you through. A lot when you were in college, when I was at Oral Roberts University, they had Ramen Day. And like a club would sponsor Ramen Day. I'd be walking down, like walking to class, have my backpack on, I'd hear a dude shout, Hey, you in the blue shirt, Ramen! And just chunk it at you. You caught it or you got hit in the face with it. It was Ramen Day. Ramen carried you. The man, you wanted something better. Sometimes you get the cup of noodles. It's a little better. Right? God sustains us. What's your manna experience? Sometimes you're, you're in your manna experience right now. Sometimes we're, we're sustained. I encourage you, in your manna experience, be pushing to the promised land. Don't just chill in the manna. Because that's not all there is that's not all there is, you're being restored you're being restored to look like that to look like the cathedral, that's how you were when you crossed the Red Sea you were a cathedral then we begin to complain, then we begin to to decay a little bit, then we begin, and, and I'm not saying that you have to I'm just being real, that's where we're at sometimes, right? I mean, can anybody relate to that? No, God's best for us is for us to never be there. I'm convinced of this, that God's best for the children of Israel were for them to go straight from the Red Sea through to the promised land. If we look at the geography of it, it did not take that long to get to the promised land, but they kept wandering around in the wilderness. Why? They had to deal with some bitterness. It was keeping them from their promised land. They had to deal with some manna. It was keeping them from their promised land. Yeah, they were sustained. But they had to deal with some issues. So Moses goes up, and we're about done. But Moses goes up on a mountain on Mount Sinai, and he receives commandments from the Lord, the Ten Commandments on stone tablets that the Lord wrote. Guidelines. The law. Now, we know that the law was to show us that we needed a Savior. The law was to point to Jesus, to show us that we couldn't keep it. We couldn't keep the law, but let's take this for a moment. Would your life be better if you kept all Ten Commandments religiously? Now, this is without Jesus, and I'm gonna bring it back, so I'm sorry, I'm a little confusing right now. But without Jesus to fulfill them is your life better if you don't kill people yes is your life better if you don't steal yes is your life better if you honor your father and your mother and you obey your parents yes is your life better if you don't commit adultery yes and we could go on and so Moses brought down these commandments and God was saying look here you go I want you to grow, because you're struggling in your life, but you're experiencing these things. and So get them out, and you'll be better. Well, the law, nobody could fulfill. But then Jesus came, and he fulfilled the law. And so Jesus is in us. But today, what we do... Is we try, and we try, and we try, and we try to keep those commandments. We try, and we try, and we try to keep that law. We try, and then whenever we don't, condemnation comes on us, and we think that we're no good. We think that we can't measure up, and then we begin to regress. We jumped back in the Red Sea at that point, and we got tangled up in our own self-righteousness, and we got drowned. But you're already past the Red Sea. You're already past the bitterness you're already past these things. And so when God says, Look, here, do these things, and you'll grow, and we say, Jesus, thank you, and we begin to walk in God's fullness. We begin to walk in God's fullness because our 10 commandment experience is realizing that we can't do it on our own. We have to have Jesus. And so after you've crossed the Red Sea, and then we've dealt with a little bit of bitterness in our life and unforgiveness in our life, then we realize, I cannot do it by myself. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. And we have our Ten Commandments experience. In James 1, it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer and not a doer, He's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself, and he goes away, and straight away he forgets what manner of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that word is very important, liberty, he who looks into the law that brings freedom. Now, I believe that day the Ten Commandments brought freedom. It looked like it brought shackles. But I believe that the Ten Commandments brought freedom because they began to realize that they needed deliverance. They began to realize that these things that are setting before me are a list of things that are going to bring me into a place of freedom. They're going to bring me into a place of liberty. They needed the Ten Commandments to know that they needed the promised land. They needed the Ten Commandments to know that they needed to push forward. We look into the perfect law of liberty and we continue in it. Being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, and this man will be blessed in all of his deeds. This man is blessed in everything that he does. Liberty. Liberty. We're getting close to where they crossed over, and we're gonna. Con- this is my to be continued moment. But we're gonna talk next week about how the children of Israel. What happened when they crossed into the Promised Land? Immediately they faced Jericho, and that's week three. But immediately they faced Jericho. But the word Jordan. They had to cross the Jordan River first. The word Jordan, and the Jordan River means freedom. It means liberty. In order to get to their promised land, they had to recognize their liberty, recognize their freedom. The children of Israel, they wandered around. They had that first great miracle when they crossed over through the reeds into dry land. And they were free. And they were pumped. And that bitterness began to rise up and that unforgiveness and it grabbed a hold of them. But they took it up by the root and they threw it into the sea as Jesus said to do. But then as they were continuing to go, they grumbled and they complained at the sustenance that God was providing for them in the manna. And then God said, this is the key to your freedom. And he gave them law to recognize that they needed a promised land. So they needed to keep going. Today, maybe you're pushing for your restoration. Maybe you're pushing and you realize, man, I want to be the way that I used to be. I used to be like that, beautiful, and and but I feel like over time I've just decayed a little bit. I, I've allowed things to come in that have just It doesn't mean that I'm not standing because I'm still here and I'm still standing, but I'm not what I used to be. I want to get back to that place of prominence. I want to get back to that place of glory. Well, the first step, the first step to your restoration is deny the presence of bitterness, regret, and revenge from restricting God's uh, restoration power. I'll read it again deny the presence of bitterness, regret, and revenge from restricting God's restoration power in you. You make a conscious effort. Start doing it now. That bitterness, it has to go. That regret, those things that you wasted, man, I wish you could stand in that place of I wish forever and never move forward. Guys, I was at a place, and some of you have heard this story, but I was at a place about six or seven years ago now. Some of you knew me then, but I was at a place six or seven years ago. I was about to lose everything because of bad decisions that I had made, and I stood there, and I I had a decision that I had to make, and I was standing right here, and I was praying to God, and I was saying, God, I'm so sorry. God, I see the things that I did wrong. I see where I didn't consult you. God, I see where I didn't follow your leading and I don't know how to get out. I need help. God, I need help. Those things that I wasted. And I asked God, I said, God, show me. God, show me what to do. Show me what I need to do and I'll do it. I promise. I'll do it. If you'll teach me, I'll do it. God taught me. I dug out of the hole. And then some. And then a whole lot more. Because God's faithful. And today, I stand and I can say that today I'm a success, but it's not because of me, because we saw what I did to me. It's because of God. It's because of His mercy and because of His grace. He can restore. We've got to get rid of the bitterness, the regret. You got to get rid of the revenge maybe some things were done to you they weren't your fault And we carry around that anger and that revenge with us you got to get rid of that revenge God says vengeance is mine vengeance is mine so let him have it let him take care of it because he does it way more just than we do we like to do it with baseball bats and stuff like that he does it with other things Bible says that he'll heap hot coals upon their head and you're like yeah burn them and that's not what he's talking about at all he's talking about purifying them because not only does God want to restore you he wants to restore them amen thank you for joining us today if you would like more information about word of life church please visit us on the web at wolcarlsbad.com Thank you and have a great week.